Howdy. What's going on? Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. It is heard live every day, by the way, from noon until 3 on WBT Radio in Charlotte. And if you want exclusive content, invitations to events, the weekly live stream, my daily show prep with links, become a patron. Go to thepetecalendarshow.com. This podcast is also supported by North Carolina businesses, so please consider supporting them. Try not to skip through their short ad. Make sure you hit the subscribe button to get every episode for free right to your smartphone or tablet. And thanks so much for your support. Jim Caviezel, Jesus, is the star of a new movie called Sound of Freedom. He played Jesus in Passion of the... Why am I drawing a blank? Passion of the Cross or Christ? Of the Christ, Christ, right. Okay, I was going to say Christ, and I was like, no, but it's Cross. No, it's Christ. It's Christ. Passion of the Christ. Um, Brutal movie. But um, this new one, Sound of Freedom... Uh, apparently, it was long. It's been a long time in the making because the rights got tied up with a different production house. I think it may have been Disney, even. And uh, they finally got out from under that. Angel Studios, which is a very small studio, uh, they then put the film together. They released it into the theaters over the July Fourth holiday weekend, and it it beat Indiana Jones, the Disney flick. So there's a little bit of a sweet, sweet uh, karma there. Angel Studios' recent film... Oh, so uh, Caviezel, and he's playing the role of a guy named Tim Ballard, and uh, both he and Ballard appeared on the Jordan Peterson podcast on YouTube. And uh, it was about like a, uh, 10 days ago now. Highly recommend you watch it. It's an hour and a half. It's free. You don't have to subscribe to anything. It's over on YouTube. Uh, just type in Jordan Peterson. You'll find it. Both of them sit for this interview. Um and uh, I pulled some sound bites. I pulled some sound bites. So Ballard said that he was recruited into the position. He was in Department of Homeland Security, and he was r- recruited into that position by a boss, uh, the, and who was creating this uh, child human trafficking task force inside of DHS. And the boss asked him to put this team together and to build this program, basically, because he said Tim Ballard had a strong faith and that that would help protect him from what he was going to be dealing with. He, he specifically sought someone with a strong faith. So uh, that's sort of the, just a little bit of the background, a little bit of the backdrop there. Jordan Peterson then asks uh, Jim Caviezel, uh, the actor, about how he prepared for the role of this guy, Tim Ballard. Now, you didn't have to go through the same things that Tim did, and you obviously weren't subject to the same kind of exposure. But you had to play this role, and you had to act out in your imagination the darkness that characterized the people who played your enemies, let's say, on the screen— what were the consequences for you of having to delve even on the fictional landscape into this entire, uh, what would you say, underworld domain? Well, let's um, start with your story initially when you brought up Cain and Abel. Um, in my years of working with agents like Tim, and I actually worked with other agents because Tim was very busy doing missions at the time, and I got to go into a lot of his world. I mean, those are the guys that I play. So I don't 
imitate other actors. I go and meet these guys and really learn and study what they do. Cain and Abel, for example, Abel is doing good things for God. How would Cain hurt God? By killing Abel, by wounding him. When I go and play, for example, a serial killer or a man that you mentioned earlier, Ted Bundy, who my friend uh, broke that case and found out who he was, um, Mike Tando. So you're the beast that comes in you. He 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 um, comes in and he um, deceives you and and starts with the ego and the whole thing. All right. So what he's what he's talking about there are these, uh, for lack of a better term, these micro doses. That and Jordan Peterson, being a clinical psychiatrist, he went through a lot of this stuff in their discussion as well, talking about you know people don't. Uh, to quote the the gunman in the uh, in the murder of Sharika Adams, the the pregnant girlfriend of the former Carolina Panther Ray Carruth, you, know, you don't take murder as your first charge, right? Usually, there is this escalating pattern, right? And to think about the kind of person that these human trafficking, particularly the the child trafficking uh, people, the like the perpetrators. To think about how they get to that point, it starts with these little microdoses, this pushing of the boundary, right? And so when when they finally come up against uh, law enforcement, right? Law enforcement looks at them, and they're so corrupted, but it's never it's never the that's not where they start. Usually, it's not where they start, and they just kind of uh, they build along the way. And Peterson talks about this from a psychological standpoint that there is a. Uh, that that's that that's what gets them the the rush is a little bit a little bit and push push a little bit further a little bit further a little bit further and then what happens is you essentially have your you're you're welcoming in the devil you're 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 pursuing you're going down this path and the more you do the deeper he gets inside of you right the evil then seeks out how to wound God the most and. Hurting kids wounds God. And so uh, Caviezel talks about how he did this movie called Deja Vu, where he played the role of a bomber. I, I don't believe I've seen this movie. I guess it was a long time ago. But that's where he started talking to that guy, Mike Tando, who, uh, you know, he says broke the the Ted Bundy case, although he calls it Ted Bundy, which I think we should have a national conversation about how to pronounce Bundy's last name because it's Ted Bundy. I don't know about Bundy. But anyway, um, he he deals with law enforcement officers in the preparation of this role for this de- this bomber in this movie Deja Vu. And um, he talks uh, and sees videos and hears the language uh, and sees the photographs and videos of serial killers, right? Interviews, reports, images uh, of bombers and stuff. And he says that, like, the voices that they speak in are all very similar. I don't go to uh, the devil to play the devil. I think make, many actors make that mistake. Go to God to tell you who the devil is. That's what I do. And it also gives me a protection. What's the um, difference? What's the difference, Jim? Like, because that also bears on how you protect yourself from such things. The difference is, is that I play the truth. So if you go and play, go to the devil to play the devil, the devil will deceive you and put something up there that uh, deceives the public. 
He'll always try to hide in the shadow. He'll always try, because he doesn't like the light, even though he's called the light, the illuminator, um, the uh, Lucifer. Um, and he tries to mimic God. He tries to be like God. So there's always like, um, the, if God has love, and what we see as love, he creates lust. He's always trying to be like that. It's like uh, Cain trying to rip off Abel, cutting the corners. So Angel Studios puts the film out, Sound of Freedom. It, it is an adaptation of the true story. And if uh, you've listened to Glenn Beck's uh, radio program uh, probably like five years ago or so, uh, that's where I first uh, heard of Tim Ballard. And he also was the guy behind um, the Nazarene Fund. And, and I was a donor to that as well, which helped to get Christians out of these areas uh, that were falling to ISIS, right? Um, and... Um, it's a story of a true story of the government agent Ballard turned vigilante who works within legal means to fight an international child sex trafficking ring. And it's uh, winning, you know, great commercial success, critical acclaim. Um, Samuel Mangold Lennett at the federalist.com says briefly outperforming the latest pile of Disney slop. Sound of Freedom is a well-produced and well-acted film that effectively blends action and suspense while pushing one of the modern world's most significant yet under-discussed issues to the forefront of public discourse. This issue, of course, being the multi-billion dollar global human trafficking industry. The point of the movie, as expressed by its star Jim Caviezel, is to wake people up to the horrors of the all-too-real and overlooked exploitation of children in the contemporary sex trade. It seems like a pretty harmless task, right? If anything, you would think that this would be a widely popular cultural phenomenon, right? Trying to encourage people to take a stand against slavery and the exploitation of kids. However, maybe unsurprisingly, left-wing media took the opportunity to attack Sound of Freedom and Jim Caviezel and Tim Ballard linking it up with, you know, right-wing conspiracy theorists and QAnon and all of this. And it just makes you wonder. So Jim Caviezel and Tim Ballard sit for this interview with Jordan Peterson, and uh, Caviezel talks about how you don't go to Satan to play Satan or to play evil in a movie, right? That's not part of his preparation. You go to God to learn how to play evil because God is truth and Satan will deceive. And Jordan Peterson then explores that idea. This is a complicated thing to untangle, but one of the things you see in Hollywood portrayals of villains, you saw this in The Silence of the Lambs, you see it frequently in mafia portrayals, is that the villain is inadvertently or even sometimes purposefully glorified. Mm -hmm. And it's partly because he's a rule breaker and, and has the attraction that goes along with that. But I also wonder too if it's, it has something to do with what you were describing, is that the writers and the actors find themselves, when they're trying to portray evil, pulled towards falseness in that representation as part of the proclivity of evil to hide itself. And the danger in that is twofold, and one is the danger of deceiving the public as to the true nature of evil, because there's nothing heroic about it, quite the contrary. And the second danger I wonder about, you know, there's all this speculation about Heath Ledger and the consequences that for him of having played the Joker in such a dark manner. And, you know, I don't know what to make of that, although I do think there is some danger in 
having to journey down a path of emulating evil in order to represent it. Now, you said that you turned to God, so to speak, to protect yourself against false representations of evil, but also in some ways to shield yourself. And it sounds to me reminiscent of what Tim's uh, superiors mentioned to him when they said to him that his faith might protect him I from, love his question. from what was... Okay, go ahead, ma'am. This is the best interview I've ever had in my life. I love your line of questioning and um, getting to what what is real. My job is to give what I know to be absolutely certain and real. I hooked into Tim has a childlike quality to him, and I stay with that innocence and that and don't take that innocence as weakness. Or, uh, and um, so, when I read the scripture. I I feel truth, good, evil, and I find the good, and let that just pierce the darkness. And it has to pierce. And I know what that light is. And I know that deception that, that when I start hearing about, for example, in, in your life, when you th there's two masters here. One is from the evil, wicked side, but he comes in through your ego. And the other one is the light side that tells you might, what you might not want to hear, but you ought to hear. And it's not manipulative. It's truth. So I, I go to that side, then I pray, then I go through it. Like the Passion of the Christ, I looked at the Shroud of Turin. And there were two men, Christian Tinsley and Keith Vanderlyn, who are experts in makeup. And the first, both of these men were agnostic. And they looked at the shroud that Mel Gibson presented to them. And one particular way, the way it is uh, through the negative, however they were able to show it, you can see the track lines of Jesus. You can see the, the, the actual um, bamboo sticks that they used to, to initially hit him. And then you see the cat of nine tails, the track lines. They look like the Grand Canyon in your skin. And it shocked them. Now, these guys look at everything from decapitations, murders, and everything. Prior to this, I did a movie a long time ago in New York, and I was with Homicide, and I got to see uh, the contortion of a face when someone gets murdered, and it's hard to watch. But when you start going into this, which is children, there is something that I can't even fathom, even with the protection of Almighty God, because it took me two years to get over this. So that's how long the movie has been languishing. This stuff was shot and, uh, you know, the performance, all of this stuff is like two years old. Um, and so what's now happening is you've got media outlets, reporters, uh, uh, generally uh, they're all of the left, as I understand, they, like Rolling Stone, Jezebel, uh, Washington Post, they're... They're now attacking this film. They're attacking Caviezel and Tim Ballard. They say, oh, you're, you're conspiracy theorists, you're QAnon adjacent and all this, which, by the way, Jordan Peterson starts the interview with Ballard off running through, like, five of these, these hits. You're accused of this. What's your response? And, then, and, and the guy lays it all out. And, like, one of the things, like this adrenocrine or uh, adrenocrine, whatever it's called, where, like, these things where... Uh, People are drawing out some sort of, I don't know, hormone from kids. They're like taking like blood and stuff from these kids and they're injecting it into themselves or whatever to, to you know, fountain of youth, live longer kind of operation. I thought that was all just 
you know, crazy uh, uh, conspiracy theory stuff. But Ballard says, no, this is like this is pretty prevalent in like the Caribbean. It's like witch doctor kind of stuff. That's who, that, that, that's where this stuff originates. And then you have you have you have child organ harvesting occurring in Asia. China's big, apparently, in that market, I hear. So like this, this, this does exist. This stuff is happening. And I wonder at the people who want me to look away and ignore it. You know, I, I have questions about that. 704-570-1110, 1-800-WBT-1110. I got two more clips to play here. Again, this is from Jordan Peterson's interview with Tim Ballard and Jim Caviezel. Caviezel is the actor playing Tim Ballard in the new movie Sound of Freedom, which is the true story of a government agent turned vigilante who works within legal means to fight an international child sex trafficking ring. And it... it made more money in the first weekend that it opened in the theaters uh, than Indiana Jones did. So um, he talks about, uh, Caviezel talks about the pain and difficulty of preparing for this kind of a role, um, but that it is worth it. Now, it's not like uh, this is what I want to experience any more than I want to get on a cross and have uh, my heart broken. I went through hypothermia. Uh, I had to have open heart surgery. I was electrocuted, struck by lightning. I understand the 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 necessity of what I was going to have to go through could help bring people back to God to wake them up. And quite frankly, more people now, Jordan, are more afraid of the devil than they are of God because they want a happy Jesus. And the problem is, is that eventually, Jordan, we all are going to die. Eventually, that that is going to happen. But people, the the power of the devil deceives to say, no, no, you're going to be around for a long, long time. And and they never wake up. And eventually, there is a judgment. And then you have to decide, or God decides, not how you want to see yourself anymore, but how God sees you. And how God sees you is who you really are. And so... That's how I uh, chose to to go at this particular case. I had no choice but to go in. And I hear the screams in my heart. I hear the screams because of the agents that I got to work with, got to show me things. And they one particular time, he says, are you sure you want to go further? But I was weeping so hard. I said, this is what Tim goes through. This is what I got. I got to see it in order to go into there to, to take people to a level to, of, will you do something? Will you do something? At some point, it ends for all of us. And so the pain in my heart is much better than the pain in the future. So a couple things. First, the beginning of the clip, he uh, confirms that he was struck by lightning while filming Passion of the Christ. I don't know if that was, I saw reporting on it. I I wasn't aware that the, the uh, this story even existed, and there was debate about it, but he explains right there, right? He says, while while filming, I think it was the final scene, the, uh, you know, bolt of lightning, I think it hit the cross. There was a point where, uh, early in the filming, like, the cross fell on top of him. It's like a 150-pound cross um, dislocated his shoulder and stuff, and it gashed up his mouth, and so, like, some of that in the movie, like, that is actually him spitting blood. That's him, because that's what happened. Um and so he had to have two, apparently, heart surgeries after the, being electrocuted. But I thought also he talks about 
when you're standing there in front of God, how does God see you? Not how you see yourself, but how does God see you? And it's very similar to what Tim Ballard said when he was talking about how, how and when he decided to quit his job at Homeland Security in order to pursue the, trafficker, the, the, the traffickers. So I worked for 12 years as a special agent and undercover, undercover operator for the Department of Homeland Security, the, the investigative division called Homeland Security Investigations. Ten of those years were spent on the border uh, tracking child traffickers, uh, people who would exploit children with child exploitation material. So I really learned a lot. In 2006, the laws changed in the United States. And for the first time, U.S. agents were permitted and encouraged to go overseas and find children who Americans were abusing. And we could now hold those Americans accountable as if they had committed that crime on U.S. soil. That's, that's what really changed my life because I started, I speak Spanish fluently and they sent me overseas south of the border. That's when my eyes opened up and I started seeing the children that I used to only see mostly on the, on the pornography, on the, on the child exploitation material cases. Um, but it was tormenting me. Uh, the U.S. government unwittingly was because if I couldn't find that connection back to the United States, the American kid or the American pedophile, I had to come home. But the problem is I've, I've already been exposed to the children. I've already been exposed to the problem and oftentimes have made myself the bait. And in 2012, I had enough on this case. I kind of went more, I went further than otherwise I probably should have. Uh, the movie didn't have time to tell you that there was another case in Haiti at the same time that I was working, uh, thinking there was a U.S. nexus. And I was told in both instances to come home and you couldn't work these cases. Uh, and that's when I had a very consequential conversation with my wife. And I said, if I stay here, if I do this operation with or without my badge, it doesn't matter at this point, I, I'm, I, I can do the work. Uh, we will save kids. Um, and, um, but I, I have to lose my job and we have six children. And this is, this is a moral dilemma like I've never faced in my life. And I was hoping my wife would have responded with, get your ass home. You can't, you can't abandon us. You know, first of all, you're going to die without the, the top cover of the U.S. government if you continue this. And who's going to pay the bills and feed the, feed the kids? She didn't say that. She said to me, you have to quit your job. It was that easy for her. Um, it became spiritual for her even. She felt a calling and a responsibility that she might have to reckon with one day when she meets her maker. And I knew that she felt that way when she told me this um, in the crucial moment of decision. Uh, about two days before I ended up turning my badge and gun over and, and, and went private, she said to me, I will not let you jeopardize my salvation by not doing this. And when she said those words, and I knew she meant those words, that changed everything for me. And we jumped into really just an irrational act of service, I might call it, uh, because it wasn't rational in many, in many ways. But uh, ultimately, it ended in the operation you see depicted in the film, which shows 54 children, uh, some, uh, some adult women, young, young adult women were in that group as well, rescued on that island. But what the movie doesn't uh, have the time to report is that in actuality, it was 120 um, there was two other locations being taken down at the same time. And there's a documentary that's going to follow uh, in, in the wake of Sound of Freedom called Triple Take. Angel Studios will put it out, uh, documenting the entire story. So uh, another 
production of this same uh, time frame, right? The one, uh, apparently the one story being told in Sound of Freedom and then the documentary is going to come along and, and tell it in a documentary uh, format. But again, both of these men and Tim Ballard's wife as well, approaching this as a choice not right now, but a choice down the road, right? What is it, what, what is it going to be down the road? What, what, when, when I stand in front of my maker and he's asking me or, uh, or you know, she, if you prefer, is asking me, um, <laughs> that, like, what have I done? What did I do? When I was presented with this opportunity, what did I make of it? And what, what will I say then? And so they both, like this guy Ballard talks about how uh, his uh, accountant laid out, or his financial planner laid out, like, okay, you're like less than a year away from getting your pension vested with the federal government. And this is like the, and he charted it all out. It was like millions of dollars that he was giving up. And he did. You know, and to subject yourself to watching this stuff and tracking these people and, and, and hunting these evil people. You know, that's, you better be protected. You better be protected. Oh, and before I forget, have you got your ticket to the Heritage Life Skills event yet? I'll be there. The annual event is put on by Carolina Readiness Supply, and you can learn all sorts of ways to be better prepared and self-sufficient in the event of any emergency. Things like homesteading, canning, water storage, radio communications, Herbal remedies, home defense, fermenting vegetables. I'll be there Saturday evening. Check out the schedule at carolinareadiness.com. This is what Carolina Readiness Supply does. For beginners all the way to the most experienced preppers, Carolina Readiness can help you. Get your tickets now at carolinareadiness.com. Veteran-owned Carolina Readiness Supply. Will you be ready when the lights go out? So along the same lines, there's a piece at hotair.com by David Strom. And I've heard the same thing. You know, people on the right claim that you know, uh, uh, that uh, people on the left and members of the Democratic Party are moving to normalize pedophilia. And it has struck me as hyperbolic, right, over the top, like, oh, come on, no one's really doing that, you know. But David Strom says, no, that this is, it's not hyperbole. It is occurring. And he points to what just happened in California. Democrats, he says, want to sexualize kids. And in the past week, they've been attacking opponents of the movie that we just heard about, calling people on the right conspiracy theorists. And now you got the California Public Safety Committee that voted down a bill in the, in the assembly, the, which is the House, right? There's a party line vote that would have enhanced penalties for child sex trafficking by making it a serious felony, quote-unquote, which is a step up from just merely being illegal. To give you some context, the bill has uh, come up and failed in the past because it classified all human trafficking as a serious crime, and Democrats oppose that. Trafficking adults apparently is not that big a deal. But, all right, so fine. So you rewrite the bill, and now it's just about kids. Surely, right? Surely. Trafficking minors, that's a serious crime, right? It made it through several other committees until the Assembly Public Safety Committee voted it down in the most cowardly way possible, I might add, Democrats abstaining so they would not actually have to vote no. In what universe could anybody object to making the trafficking of kids a serious crime? It's all, sex trafficking is already a serious problem in California, 
Senator Scott Weiner, who's at like the forefront of all of these types of pieces of legislation, he and his fellow Democrats have loosened laws on prostitution, uh, and prostitutes themselves are usually victims of human trafficking. Then, of course, there's the Sound of Freedom reaction, where the left has been doing this full court press against the movie, claiming it's QAnon adjacent, right? The accusation is absurd on its face, he says, and the reviews even acknowledge that the movie itself pushes no QAnon theories. Not only that, it was written and mostly shot before such a thing as QAnon even existed. It doesn't matter. Suddenly, child sex trafficking is just a conspiracy theory. Give me another explanation why the media is so determined to downplay child sex trafficking and why Democrats are opposed to an anti-trafficking bill that you would think is an, you know, give me, what is the innocent explanation for this? Now you throw in, you know, the porn books in the libraries at schools, the drag queens in lingerie, the naked bicyclists at the family-friendly parades, bondage displays everywhere, and tell me sexualization of kids is a myth. It is not. It is happening right before our eyes. He says, obviously, most Democrats are not on board with this agenda, but just as obviously, the most powerful factions in the party apparently are. They've been for a very long time. Look at Hollywood, right? The history of Hollywood. That's not very pretty. Since our political system is so tribal, though, Democrats won't listen to the right when we warn them about what's happening. This is what Dennis Prager was talking about. I played that clip yesterday, right? Conservatives vote their principles. Leftists vote their principles. But liberals do not because they don't want to admit that they are closer to the right on these things than they are to the leftists. And the leftists count on it. And that's where... Look at the Epstein affair. Two people, two, went to jail. And neither of them was a client. What else am I to conclude? All right, I'll see you tomorrow. Don't break anything while I'm gone.